Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We are now in our 50th episode of 2021. I hope everyone is ready for a wonderful holiday. You know, it's really hard to imagine how 2021 has gone by. But that said, you know, what has been accomplished this year has been simply amazing. And I know that 2022 is going to be even better as we roll out fiber broadband at record levels. The positive impact on communities around the nation will benefit for generations to come. You know, last week, the Fiber Broadband Association issued a joint press release with our friends at NTCA announcing the broadband infrastructure playbook that we have under development with our research partner, Cartesian. The intent of this playbook is to identify best practices from the very best state broadband programs across the nation in an effort to help every state put in place the strongest possible programs as the NTIB funding will becomes available for distribution. In addition to helping create some of the best practices consistencies across every state and territory, we want to enable the states to realize the maximum benefit from this broadband funding. So stay tuned as we plan to set up a series of events to help break down the broadband infrastructure statute and provide some insights on the BEAD program. You know, while many are winding down for the holidays, yesterday the FCC announced awards of $42.7 million for the COVID-19 telehealth program, bringing the total awards to $208 million. This funding is to reimburse healthcare providers for telecommunication services, information services, and connected device necessary to enable telehealth during the COVID-19 pandemic. Telehealth is a major driver for ensuring that all Americans, um, for requiring all Americans to have access to a robust fiber broadband infrastructure. The FCC also continues to approve RDOF awards, and so far it has approved $1.7 billion of the $9.3 billion awarded in broadband funding long-form applications of 151 providers in 40 states. On the Senate side, last week, Alan Davidson's confirmation to had NTI came out of committee, and we believe it should go to the floor for a vote um, after the Senate returns from the holiday break on January 3rd. That's great news that the NTIA leadership should be in place in January. The confirmation process for the open seat at the FCC appears to be hitting some headwinds, and we anticipate some further delays. So speaking of potential delays, this morning, our five for breakfast session is, who's pulling your supply chain? You know, last week we met with Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee from the Center for Technology Innovation to discuss bridging the urban-rural digital divide. Today, our guest is Dean Miske from Finley Engineering, and our topic today is, who's pulling your supply chain? Dean brings over 30 years of experience at Finley and is responsible for day-to-day operations overseeing and managing advanced communication networks, including PE plan approvals. Dean started his career in the Air Force and worked as a flight simulator technician 
where he's trained in electronics and as a instructor for pilot and navigational students. He then attended California State University receiving a BS in electronics and electrical engineering. He started with Finley in 1990 as a staff engineer and after receiving his professional engineering license in 1994, he's worked his way up to Bryce President. Over the years, Dean's focus has been on designing and building advanced communication networks capable of cost-effectively meeting demands of tomorrow's consumer. So welcome, Dean. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go for our Q&A at the conclusion of Dean's presentation. So with that, we'll turn it over to Dean. Well, thank you, Gary, and good morning, all. Um, this was part of a much larger presentation, so I've pared it down quite a bit to fit for today. So we're going to move uh, relatively quick. But uh, I want to give you all uh, congratulations for a holiday, the beginning of a, a longer holiday uh, week, it would appear, uh, uh, attending this seminar. And also um, to talk about a problem that has just been beaten silly in the news. And um, uh, I'll say that I took a slightly different approach in how I looked at this. When people asked me to, uh, to research this topic, I said, hey, I'm an engineer. I know how to design and build things and to get things done. I'm not really an economist that understands the nuances of the supply chain. But I thought, well, I'll give it my best shot. So. Uh, they state whenever you do a presentation, you should have an uh, easily identified goal. And uh, I think we've got it covered here. We're going to look at a worldwide problem and solve it in 20 minutes or, or, or less. You know, we're, we're trying to hit the sitcom target here. But um, as far as my research went, I found out that um, it's going to be kind of hard to do this. And so I'm going to try to avoid touching some of the third rails that exist today. So with that, let's get started. When we talk about a supply chain, let me go back one, uh, please. Uh, when, you, when we talk about a supply chain, the biggest thing that um, to remember is that one time that chain was pretty easy to identify. Everything was produced locally. If you had an issue, you went next door, you went down the street, and you solved the problem. Well, fast forward today and what's happened. This graphic here, I think, is a, is a great example of our supply chain today. Uh, it has become almost impossible to track where everything comes from, from its uh, uh, original raw resources, through every process, through every step, through every transportation leg, every hand that's touched it until it finally arrives at your doorstep. And, and if we look at it, you're actually part of that chain because I'm assuming that what you're gonna do is take that, raw, that product that's been delivered to you and incorporate it into something much larger and deliver to someone else. So whether you realize it or not, you are all part of the supply chain. When we look at what's been in the news, everybody's been talking about the big things. And let's face it, they're interesting, they're fun to talk about, they have great graphics, but it's really not about the ships. Now, we'll spend just a few seconds going through it and, and uh, then we'll div, uh, dive into the deeper items. You know, talk about big, uh, the, the East Coast was all celebratory because they had a 16,000 container ship arrive this summer. That's the largest ship ever been there. But yet in the news, you're hearing all the uh, excitement about the West Coast in California, and that's because their ships typically can carry 23,000 containers and just massive in comparison. So when they uh, talk about the shipping being up, yes and no. If you take a look at it, the red line across the top is the uh, tra uh, amount of shipping traffic for this year, and it's really not much higher than a normal year end. But what's ended up happening is, is that uh, the industry didn't get a chance to take a breath and fix things and get their feet back under them during the normal lull in the spring. A couple of unintended consequences have come out of this, and that is uh, the demand for shipping is stayed so high that instead of being able to repair ships, they're now having to bring ships in from other purposes and redefine them and 
reassign them as container ships. Uh, an unintended consequence of that is, is that the ships they're taking for that are the large bulk ships. And so when we start looking later on to try to get some of the larger items shipped uh, in either direction uh, out of this country, uh, those ships may be hard to come by because they've been put into use as container ships where the real money is right now. So what does all this mean? Well, yeah, we got to wait for it. Uh, you've heard the numbers of the ships offshore and what have you. Uh, and this um, October, it reached a high of over 100 ships in waiting. And some of the unintended consequences of that, if you heard about the oil spill on the West Coast, that was one of these ships dragging an anchor in a storm. Uh, the, the parking lot was so full that they were out on the edge and, and set an anchor where they shouldn't have. Another unintended consequence of this is the fact that uh, ships that used to be, uh, count on a round trip every 30 days are now looking at 50 days plus, and it's just starting to put a lot of stress on that. Notice that with everything else going on, that the amount of work processed through the ports really hasn't changed. And even with the announcement that uh, the uh, Los Angeles ports were gonna work 24 seven, production has actually slowed down a little bit because they've reached capacity on what to do with the rest of the supply chain and moving things around. Uh, they can't get enough of the containers in or out of the uh, ports. Net result is we gotta pay for it. Uh, October, uh, the yellow line is from uh, 2020. Uh, in October of 2020, a shipping container cost roughly $400 to $800 on the uh, bulk market, depending on how big of a supplier you were. Uh, whereas uh, fast forward to today, that has hit almost $20,000 as the average price or median price in uh, a shipping container. And on the spot market, that number has grown all the way up to thirty-two dollars to $35,000 on something that would have cost $1,500 before. The takeaway from that is, is that now uh, when people are looking to bring things in from overseas, they're looking at what has the greatest cargo density in a container. And so if you're trying to buy things that takes up a lot of space and is relatively low cost, uh, that's the items not making it. And uh, I can give you a quick example of that is, is um, supposedly Tonka trucks are hard supply this year because they take up a lot of bulk. Uh, and although they're expensive, they, they're not near as expensive as packing that same container full of uh, Sony Playstations or um, uh, uh, the latest uh, smartphone. This uh, slide, uh, has really got what got me thinking as I was doing my research. And I started to realize that there's things going on that are well beyond what we're seeing when we talk about the numbers and the shipping and moving things around and what have you. A couple of things to take a look at is there's two elements within this graph. The first of which is the, the orange is the, uh, at the bottom, is the number of loaded containers leaving the uh, ports. And the blue is the number of empty containers leaving the ports headed back overseas. And notice the trend, because we're gonna talk about that a little later on. Also take a look at what happened around 2008 and how many of you remember what took place there. Okay, here's the next big thing everybody's been talking about. You cannot listen to any news broadcast on any media source without being um, dealing with this. Um, I will contend that uh, COVID-19 has had a significant impact in what's going on, but I would also contend that COVID is simply a catalyst. And um, if you remember your chemistry days, catalyst is an element that will take a reaction that is already taking place and simply speed it up. It is really not the cause, and it's really not the, uh, if you remove it, it, it may or may not actually change the end result. Uh, it just changes how fast it's going to happen. So let's go uh, with that and let's start. Uh, when I noticed that previous slide, I started bringing into some of the other trends and that's what really piqued my interest on this presentation. 
First trend I noticed was the workforce. And I looked at three specific uh, elements within the workforce uh, as depicted by the picture on the left is the boomers. And everybody knew this was coming. Uh, the boomers have been working awful hard. They're reaching the end of their uh, career. Uh, many of them extended it, but they were enjoying what they were doing. And COVID kind of took the fun out of it. Um, but we all knew this was happening. Um, probably the element that was probably more surprising was in the middle slide. And this was the number of uh, parents that went home to take care of their kids during the COVID uh, incidents and the shutdowns and what have you. Many of them realized that um, uh, they probably have been giving the teachers a bad rap. They found out how hard it was to really teach kids. And they were dealing with three and not 30. So uh, teachers have seen an uh, uptick in appreciation for what they've been doing over the years. The other things that the parents realized was is that, you know, it's really not so bad to be involved in your kid's life and actually uh, watching the progress move forward. And they also realized that without that income, that, you know what, the net result wasn't any different. And so uh, many of them have started to make a choice of uh, either working from home permanently, full-time or part-time, uh, and or uh, not returning back to work. And then the final trend is the Gen Zers, and I'm going to push it down even a little bit lower than that. And this is the uh, the uh, workforce that is just leaving high school and college and moving into the uh, working world. Imagine that all of these workers have existed their entire life in a collaborative work environment, all the way through grade school, middle school, high school, and up into college. And it was uh, get four or five people together, solve a problem, and complete an assignment, and life's good move into the real workforce. Some of that exists, but there's a lot of work that has to be done where you just have to sit down and dig in, and they weren't ready for that. Um, you see a lot of the uh, Gen Zers that are starting to take breaks because the work really wasn't what they thought it would be. Um, it's The problems are harder than they were in school, and uh, it's not a free flow, do as you want, whenever you want type environment. You have to follow some additional rules. A lot of them are also learning that, you know, there's 20 steps in a progression from a starting worker to being an entrepreneur or management, and they're not sure that, that they want to wait that long for it. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that age group taking a break, traveling, finding themselves, or learning how to be the next um, social media star. The net result of this trend was is that uh, if you take a look at the workforce labor participation rate, and that's the number of people that are available to work and can work, but have decided not to. And that rate has uh, seen a decline in the percentage of people that are working compared to the percentage of people that are able and capable of working. And that trend is actually starting to accelerate a little bit. So the takeaway from this slide is, is that as, as a group, does your company have a strategic plan for talent management? It is going to become a larger issue as we move forward. Um, sparse slide for a reason. If we take a look at how we used to get information, how many of you under 40 recognize this person? and can, can name him off uh, off the top of your head and know, knew what he stood for. Um, in, an, in, a, uh, in a public audience, I had two takers out of 100. Uh, the person is Walter Conkite. Uh, he was a newscaster on CBS, uh, started in the mid 60s and reached his prime in the uh, late 70s and middle 80s as the nightly news anchor. Um, he was probably the most respected uh, announcer of his era, and I probably think even since then, for presenting the news as his tagline was state, and that's the way it is. He didn't slant it one way or another. He tried to present 
an even balance on both sides. And so once you got past the news, uh, the, the TV news, and you know, at that time there were only three of them, and they all kind of tended to stay in the middle and kind of cover things reasonably similar. There were some minor differences. Um, you moved on to uh, your other sources, and time is a, is a, is a good example of this, um, and that is as the, the written media source. And within the written media source, you could actually find a tremendous amount of diversity on either extreme of whatever you wanted to learn about a particular topic. But you had to go look for it, and it took some effort to find. And not only that, what ended up happening was, if you think about it for a second, uh, if you wanted to do something about it, you could yell to your neighbor or to anybody else in the house, but it's kind of about as far as it went. You may be gross about it at work some, but that was the end of it. And 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 how many times did people say, I'm going to do something about that? And they'd sit down, and by the time they got ready to write a letter or make a phone call or do something uh, that had any impact on it, they cooled off. And they had time to think about their actions before they uh, reacted. So I'm going to ask you the question now, trans, uh, fast forward to today. And, I, and I'm not going to say that all of the news in the past was, was um, evenly balanced. Uh, you take a look even back into the 1900s um, with the Spanish-American War. Many people contend that that was a result of two newspapers, um, Hearst and Pulitzer, fighting over trying to get the most salacious news about what was happening in Cuba. Uh, go back and do a little bit of research on that. But fast forward today, how do we get our information? The vast majority, and as the age goes younger, the vast majority is turning to social media for information as their go-to source. And it has really created some interesting uh, aspects of that. Um, next, uh, just a toggle, please. What ends up happening with social media is, is we've now made it possible that every, uh, every opinion counts and you have the ability to hide. Uh, if you go back prior to social media and even before the internet, uh, if you dealt with the bully at school, when you went home, that bully went away, unless they happened to live next door. Um, but otherwise, today, the bully never disappears. They are always there, they're always hounding you, and I'm sure you've all seen news stories of, of uh, the ill effects of what's going on. I would say one of the biggest things that social media has done is it has made it impossible to determine what the truth is. And that has really made life tough. Um, it's designed to manipulate. And if you think about that, there was a lot of stories out here um, just recently that was pointing to how social media was uh, looking at uh, generating conflict and pushing people to the edges of the spectrum to see, um, uh, to keep you engaged. And uh, on top of that, it demanded immediate attention and you could. You saw something that made you mad, you could pound away on the keyboard and, and you could get people to react to what you said. And we could spend a tremendous amount of time uh, looking at this, you know, the impossibility to determine what's true, shots good or bad, who won the election or who didn't. Those are some of the live wires that this whole scenario has created for us. But we're missing one huge key element that a lot of people have uh, not really put enough um, thought into in regards to the impact Social media has actually become social warfare. Do many of you realize that our largest trading partner has a well-organized, uh, very set agenda in terms of how they manipulate and manage information that's being portrayed in the United States? And this doesn't even take into account the cyber, um, the cyber warfare that's taking place from numerous countries. So if we take a look at what uh, has happened with social media is it has pushed everybody to the edge. It's almost impossible to find someone that exists in the middle because they're not getting any coverage. And so 
All you hear is what's, what's happening out on the edge. Final trend, and this uh, plays back to the graphic uh, regarding the shipping containers. Uh, notice the same bounce in here in 2008. What happened in 2008? Well, we had a, we had a, a stock market crash or market crash, and we watched the dollar decline drastically against the rest of the world. What ended up happening? Well, our dollar was cheap, so we could export things quickly to a lot of other countries. And, and as a result, uh, we saw a change in direction in the uh, gap between what we take in for um, trade and what we send out for trade. The red is, is uh, what we uh, uh, export or import, and the blue is what we export, and the green is the difference between the two. And notice what's happening. Significant manufacturing is leaving the United States. A lot of people will contend we make a lot of great things and import or export a lot of great things. What we tend to do is we tend to make the high technology stuff and we export in limited numbers. The volume wise and the dollar wise, it's coming back the other way. And the last takeaway I will give on this particular slide is um, just in time. It is something that we may need to think about revising. Uh, it can save money, but it may not be the best application for this moment. So I missed the last nugget. So the last nugget I should have pointed out in the last slide was is um, uh, your customers and your employees. Where are they getting their information from and are you providing them a balanced report of what you're doing? Are they uh, simply looking at the extremes in the marketplace to find out who you are? And then for this one here is, is, is uh, now that you know what's going to happen, uh, I don't believe that the uh, supply chain shortages will go away overnight. Uh, do you have a strategic plan that allows you to forecast your material needs and to look forward? So execution, I'm gonna just leave these up here for a minute to, uh, for you to take and, and, and digest a little bit. I think the, um, uh, as a company, if you're looking at simply uh, planning for next year, that's probably looking a little short. You need to be looking beyond next year and to start setting up a much larger uh, five-year plan with uh, specific goals in mind and, and uh, elements you're gonna need to accomplish those goals. And that is be prepared. So uh, with that, I will turn it back over to Gary to open us back up for questions. Hey, Dean, thanks so much. Uh, you know, interesting presentation of supply chain. So what, what are you seeing, you know, as Finley, um, what, what, what are your customers seeing as far as supply chain? What's real? Um, it has been a mixed bag. Obviously, um, the larger buyers, and this was, a, this was a, an announcement that was just out in the news two days ago, you know, they talk about chips. Chips is uh, slowing everything down in terms of electronics. The very large buyers aren't having near the problem. Uh, one of the uh, cell phone manufacturers bought up the entire production of a very large uh, chip manufacturing uh, group within Asia, their entire production. What that means is, is that the smaller groups are gonna have a hard time finding and getting materials. So um, you need to look at how you get your materials and whether or not you get them uh, from a group that has the pull to get what you need to, aggre uh, to aggregate yours into a larger, larger order and get what you need. So take a look at, at volume and who's, who can provide what. Um, we hear announcements that product is going out, but then sometimes it turns around and the smaller orders appear very shortly. So sometimes if your small project is small enough, you may fit in a gap. And, and be successful. But I, I think the net result is, is everything is being pushed out. And I don't see that um, recovering this year and possibly well into next year. So is this, um, you know, in fiber and electronics and so forth, is this becoming a toilet paper situation? Are there certain, you know, you said people are making longer range plans or certain 
um, you know, people with deeper wallets uh, hoarding materials, or what? What are you seeing? I think there is some spot investment taking place. Um, you know, uh, you see every now and then somebody will come up and say, "Hey, I've got you know 10 million feet of uh, cable available for somebody to buy." I don't know if that was a project that uh, was canceled, uh, delayed, or um, uh, it was a, a speculator uh, uh, gaming the market, buying in, in, in bulk and then selling it off uh, when they see the prices go so high. There's a lot of debate as to whether you should be buying to, uh, to bulk up, but I would say that if your goals uh, count on expansion and the need for fiber, um, you know, a reel in hand is, is, is better than a reel on order. Uh, and then along with that, uh, what are your risks? If you don't use that reel, um, the odds are it's still pretty marketable. And even if the prices fall, um, the ability to uh, react and be competitive in the market probably outweighs whatever loss you may have had when a fiber dropped from, say, $1.20 a foot back down to the $70 a foot range or, or uh, 70 cents a foot range. Hey, what tra trends are you seeing or new thoughts on talent management? It is. It has become a full-time job. Um, uh, every group I talk to, every industry we talk to, uh, is uh, striving for uh, talent. Uh, some of the groups, uh, like ours, we're trying to solve some of it through technology uh, and trying to automate and um, and uh, use computer processes uh, where it would have required manual labor before. Uh, so just simply becoming more efficient is one way of of helping manage that. Uh, that talent and making sure that your staff are equipped with the uh, tools they need to, to take those steps. What about um, how can uh, technology or distribution partner help? Well, uh, in order for them to uh, help you, you're going to need to be able to provide reasonable forecasts of what they need or what you're going to need so that they can plan for it. Um, uh, most of the manufacturers and technology groups have been out there pushing really hard to say, hey, uh, we want to make sure we, we get you serviced. How do we uh, how do we do so? And I think that strategic plan and a plan to execute that plan uh, often is not people create a plan, but they don't really have a plan to execute the plan. They just have the plan sitting out there and, and haven't looked at all the steps of actually getting it done. Um, to let them know that, hey, by these dates, I'll need these products. And if you don't let them, they'll never know. So forecasting is king, is what you're forecasting saying. Forecasting is going to be king. Yeah. Um, do you suggest to stockpile conduit and fiber for future or find a supplier who's doing that for their customers? Um, I would say you would have to find out what works. If you cannot find someone that can can guarantee and meet your deadlines, your your only other recourse is to just order it and, and, and keep it. Um, uh, it is a gamble, it ties up cash, uh, but like I said, uh, if, it's a, if it's a key element for um, allowing you to get your project done, uh, this goes back to the just-in-time. We can't just order it when we need to do the project. If it's a key element, then I think you need to have it. Well, Dean, um, this is great stuff. You know, one of the things that came up at our premier member meeting a couple weeks ago was just um, there's a lot of confusion about supply chain. People talk at it, about it at a macro level, and it's really a complex beast. And so one of the activities that um, initiatives that's going to be led by Scott Jackson of Graybar is to to start mapping out the entire supply chain and identify the, the bottlenecks so that we don't talk about it in such a macro level, but really be able to drill down of where we're seeing supply, where we're seeing issues. And like you said, it's maybe it's not in shipping containers sitting off you know shore, but it, you know, there's other areas that we can really 
um, be able to mitigate some of that risk. Okay. We really appreciate and you sharing your experience. And as always, you know, uh, Finley does a great job of um, breaking things down in a very analytical way, which I enjoy. Um, so thank you very much. You know, speaking of analytics, next week, um, our topic is the numbers are in. You know, fiber broadband is strong and record deployment is ahead. We're going to be speaking with Mike Render, our research partner at RVA, and he just finished his uh, 2021 uh, fiber superb fiber uh, provider survey, to which he'll be talking about, you know, the forecast, deployment timing, challenges, and key opportunities. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll see you guys next Wednesday. So I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday, and we'll see you again next week.